0: Hello and welcome to episode 116 of Page One, the Writers Podcast. I'm Marco. And I'm Tarek. And thanks for joining us on the podcast where we like to speak to writers of all kinds about their writing careers, find out how they got into the industry, and try and get as many hints and tips from them as possible. And uh, we've had a great selection of guests on in this batch of episodes. Uh, recently, it's been a bit of a crime run, but this week we're we're verging more towards sort of sci-fi and fantasy.
1: Yeah, this week we're chatting with Lorraine Wilson, who's a kind of speculative, um, grounded folklory fantasy. Kind of hard to pin her down to one specific, yeah. specific type of genre, I think. But but she's um, she's done some fantastic books. Her latest book is. The Way the Light Bends, which is out uh, now at the time of listening. Yes. Um, and she's got a, an excellent entry story um, involving, well... Well, some people she, think, was, she was, as she tells lives. us, she
0: did, yeah, she, she, didn't, she didn't always... Or she wasn't really planning to be a writer. She was a scientist, a field scientist, um, and had some adventures there, which she tells us about. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but then, uh, unfortunately... Um, Sickness made her have to give that job up and uh, she turned to writing to sort of get her through that. And and um, through that has, has now found, in effect, a new career. Um, and it's really interesting speaking to her because, you know, she's someone that started with short stories and then found... Um, an agent but then the agent left publishing but then she got published by a small press for her first two books and her next book i think is coming out with a, with a different publisher but um, it, she really has a lot of knowledge i think about the process or her yeah. process obviously because yeah. everyone's got a different process but um, she's a very big planner and she talked to us about that and she talked to us about things like the importance of setting and things like that and um, sorry i'm just going to apologize because if you can hear something uh, scratching or something—that's my dog in the background. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Actually, Marco, who's that person you've got chained up in the corner? Of the <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, I tried to tighten their, the knots, but obviously <laughs> not enough. <laughs> Sorry, but we're going off on the tangent there, so uh, we'll get straight into our chat with rain after a quick advert for a writer's notebook before we do i should say and i do mention this in the podcast that i'm calling her rain her her writer name is lorraine but uh, or her full name is lorraine but um i'm on a writing forum with rain which is how i know her so hence the informality which i apologize for (laughs) so you should but uh, yeah We'll get, we'll play the advert And then we'll be back At the end of the podcast With a bit more chat And to let you know About next week's guest
1: But for now On with the podcast
0: The blank page To some It's terrifying An obstacle To overcome But we prefer To think of it As an opportunity A blank canvas To be filled With all of the adventures And characters In our head So how to overcome That fear Well we all know The best advice For a writer is Write Seriously Get words on the page and more will follow.
1: But what about later, when you start trying to pull those threads of what you've written together? What about the character you wrote about way back at the start? Who was she again? What was she carrying? And where did she leave the MacGuffin that she now really needs in the third act? Think about all those top thrillers you like to read. Or that amazing drama you just watched. What did they all have in common? Structure and planning. Screenplay, a comic or any other kind of story We truly believe that when you use it It will help you get to the main event Writing your story So we hope this helps
0: We can't wait to read what you come up with
1: And remember Every story starts with page one
0: Did you always want to be a writer Because I know you have a background As a scientific researcher Uh,
2: No I didn't i 've always been a bookworm and i 've always loved stories and been very um, passionate about the power of story and the importance of that, but I was always kind of de- determined to be a scientist, and that was always where I saw myself heading um, and yeah, it was only kind of after i 'd done that for quite a while that i I got sick and had to reassess what what I was doing, and that was when I turned to writing and Um, And it felt very natural. It felt, it seems really odd, but it felt kind of like coming home in a way. So I think that that, the fact that that love of of fiction had always been there and that love of folklore and stories and the rest of it, it, it felt like a very um, organic shift, even though it's quite a contrast to my previous life.
0: (laughs) yeah because um, I think your previous life took you abroad and all that sort of stuff didn 't it yeah
2: yeah, it was kind of the opposite of sitting at a computer it was I was very field based, so mm-hmm. I spent quite a few years working in very remote locations around the world, which was an incredible thing to do, and I loved the work i did and it was It felt very um, precious and uh, an honor to be able to be involved in that kind of conservation work in in those kinds of places. Uh, so I do love it. And I I don't feel like that's wasted in any way because I think it very much shapes my writing. Um, but yeah, it's it feels a bit surreal now to sort of spending my life as a hermit, <laughs> 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 which I'm not complaining about. I quite like being a hermit, to be honest.
1: <laughs> and am I right in saying that you caught the bubonic plague?
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I mean, how did that happen?
2: Uh, that was... During my PhD, I was living in Costa Rica and um, in kind of the middle of the rainforest. And there was, this always sounds, makes me sound like such a Muppet, but there was a really <laughs> cute tree rat that was oh. that would come in at night and steal bits of my mattress for her bedding,
1: you see. That's nothing and, cute about that.
2: <laughs> well, she was a cute rat. She's not like one of those you know, kind of black rat Sort of dustbin rat. She was a cute tree rat, and she was kind of. And I just felt really bad. And you know, she wanted some bedding, and it seemed only reasonable to share mine. And then she gave me the plague. which
0: It's not really a fair swap, (laughs) I would say (laughs) Not not really. Start of a horror movie. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But I mean, when you were when you were a scientist, were you doing any writing at all at that point?
2: No, I've always written poetry kind of cathartically so when I was sort of struggling with various things um, I did write poetry and I I mean field work's not always easy in doing PhDs and that kind of stuff you're on your own for a very very long time in very um, difficult locations much as I loved it and loved every second of it it's also quite hard getting the plague on your own in a rainforest. <laughs> 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 um, uh, with no access to medical care or anything. But um, so, yeah, so there, I did write poetry, but it was very much a private thing, a very personal thing. Um, so, which I guess goes back to that fact that I've always felt like creative the creative words are a very powerful thing that sort of speak to the heart of people. So, but other than that, other than my emotional rantings or <laughs> outpourings, <laughs> in the privacy of my tent no I didn't do any writing
0: <laughs> so, so, so what was it then that, that made you decide when you when you made that change what was it that turned you to writing then given that you hadn't been doing it other than yeah poetry? it seems
2: a bit of an odd switch doesn't it I don't really know I think I think I'd always been telling myself stories in my head as you do um especially if you're an insomniac and you're trying to get yourself to go to sleep you tell yourself stories Um, or I do anyway and um, I think I've kind of thought I need something to do because I'm going to be at home I'm not going to be working I'm losing this massive part of my identity uh, by stepping away from the science and I need something to stop me going kind of stir crazy and to give me a sense of focus and to be working towards something and I just thought, you know what, I'm going to give it a go and see if I can tell my own stories. I've been doing it in my head enough. So let's just see what happens if I put them down on paper. And it worked. It didn't work at first. <laughs> it took some learning, but um, but it worked. And, and I loved it. And it's been perfect because it's fitted around my health and it's given me this incredible sort of uh new identity I guess in a way and a new skill set to learn I love learning new skills so that's been fantastic as well and then the community you meet and I couldn't ask for a better more su- supportive sort of collection of friends that I've kind of gathered along the way or that I that I've sort of clung on to and not let them escape maybe I don't know <laughs>
1: <laughs> and when you when you went when you moved into the writing world it was short stories Right, you started off with. Is that correct?
2: That was what I got published first. I launched, as one does. I launched straight into some massive novel, thinking that I was <laughs> that was it. It was going to be brilliant. Um, and one hundred and fifty thousand words later, I realised it wasn't, uh, and that perhaps it should go in a drawer and never see the light of day again. But so. I think that first novel with many people perhaps was very much my learning process. And it taught me that I could write and that I could get to the end of a book, which is a useful thing to know. Mm. Um, It also taught me that I didn't really know an awful lot about writing and I had an awful lot to learn. Uh, So I then did start writing short stories and I found them really useful for kind of growing my confidence for a start and also Teaching me to master the craft in kind of small sections, small bits, Mm -hmm. bite sized kind of lessons rather than trying to apply everything I was learning to 100,000 words all in one go. So I still do both. But yeah, short stories were definitely a useful step in the process.
0: And did you did you do any sort of creative writing courses or anything like that?
2: I did one. I did a six week online editing course um, through what are now the Jericho writers? they were called something else at the time um, and that was that was really good. It was really useful in just opening my eyes to the the toolkit that's out there for editing um, and the kind of jargon that you that you find dotted around the internet um, and don't perhaps understand when you first encounter it so things like you know psychic distance and point of view and you know narrative arcs and stuff like that um, so it was a really it was only six weeks. So it wasn't massively in depth, but it was incredibly um, useful in just giving me that anchor Mm -hmm. from which I could then, you know, develop stuff further. And I'm still friends with the people I was on the course with and we meet up and have we writing retreats together. So it's again, it's like, it's that community. It's the people you meet that kind of keep you going and kick you when you're down and or not, well, <laughs> kick. <I hope> not. <laughs> <Sounds lovely. laughs> kick when you need a kick and yeah. give you a hug when you need a hug, yeah. I guess.
1: <laughs> um, and and when, you, when you were writing these short stories and you're, you know, what, what was your routine? Did you try to go for an agent first? Did you go for the publisher first? How, what was your, your map into published writing?
2: Um, with the short stories, I, I just kind of threw them out into the void and, and tried to discover by trial and error what stuck. Um, which possibly isn't the most, uh, the wisest approach, but it, it kind of worked in the end for me. Um, with the books, I my second book did get me an agent. I did sign with an agent for my second book, um, but she then left publishing not long afterwards before we'd managed to sell it. So that book went into a draw with the first disaster book um, and I've not looked at it since. And then my third – and then I kind of wrote a couple of books without really um, making much headway and got a couple of publishing offers which fell through, got a lot of interest from agents which didn't sort of make – you know, get that final yeah. push to, to signing. Um, and then my fourth book is the one that I signed with, with Luna Press, so that was my debut novel. And weirdly, my third book is the one that's coming out second so Ah, they've kind of switched orders which is a bit odd but that's just sort of the way it happened so
0: I mean and and that that fourth book which is your first published novel uh, this is our undoing do you you want to just tell us a little bit about that
2: uh yeah although it's a year since I've published it so obviously I've forgotten everything that was (laughs) in (laughs) it um yeah so it's based in a Near future speculative Europe that has been riven by climate change and the rise of far right politics, and it kind of explores power and powerlessness in a community that is hostile to your to your own morality, um, and it follows a scientist who is living at this remote field station in the Rila Mountains and. When an old enemy dies, her past kind of comes back to life and puts her family in danger. So she's trying to protect her family whilst not losing her own inner moral compass. Um, And it's kind of uh, a dystopian thriller slash murder mystery slash climate fiction sort of mishmashy genre disaster sort of thing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And it's obviously been really well received. It It was nominated for the BSFA long list, mm-hmm. uh, uh, shortlisted for the, uh, I don't know how you say it, Caviar, is that how you say it? Caviar Prize? Award, yeah. Yeah, Caviar Award. Um, I mean, that must have been, has that been a sort of validation for the writing and, and you know?
2: Yeah, yeah, it really has. I mean, it's like getting shortlisted and longlisted and things is, is amazing and it's really... Um, it kind of blows you away when that happens. But I think the reason that it blows you away isn't because it's a kind of, it's a, you know, a, a prize per se, but it's the proof that you've connected with somebody. Mm-hmm. And that's what it comes down to really, isn't it? That you write because you want Oh well, for me anyway, I write because I want to feel like I'm connecting with someone out there in the wilderness. Um And the getting shortlisted for things is kind of concrete proof that you've done that, that, you know, that enough people have have connected with your work and thought, yeah, you know, I can see something in this that they've gone out and voted for it, which is, is phenomenal. So yeah, it's, it's amazing.
1: And when you, when you come to start writing um, a book, I think that you've said that a lot of other people start with the plot or the character, but you start with the setting. Is that right?
2: Yeah, I do. Um, Which I think is moderately unusual, but I always start with a question and a setting. And I think, my mind is full of these stupid moral questions that I get stuck on and sort of spiral around for ages. And it's also full of places in the world that I love. Um, and I think a story happens for me when they two of those intersect and sort of resonate in some way. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this book definitely started with the setting—the kind of remote house in the middle of this wilderness of the mountains—and then it—and then my own anger. At various political <laughs> events happening around the world at the time, and my anger at my own powerlessness, more particularly, and so it was those two which seem a really odd combination. But there was something about that isolation and the vulnerability of being in the wilderness, and then that the sort of political powerlessness that just sort of created the the story.
0: And and setting, you know, when a book's written well, when when you really get pulled into that setting, it can almost become like a character of it in itself mm-hmm. but um you know it's not always easy to capture setting in your books i think as well especially if you do come to it from a plot heavy angle sometimes the setting almost falls away into the background mm-hmm. and sometimes can get lost a bit yeah totally um wh- wh- you know what how how do you capture the setting in your in your writing
2: um i think um, I kind of cheat in that most of the settings that I write are settings where I have lived and done field work as a, as a biologist. So they are places that are fiercely alive to me because I've navigated them in that kind of way. Um, so that is a bit of a cheat, isn't it, compared to just like looking at Google Maps and trying to piece <laughs> something together from that. It's a lot um, easier. <laughs> yeah, it is. But I also do quite a bit of research for my settings. So I will go away and look up... All of the, you know, the natural, the ecosystem aspects of that, and and weather patterns, and local folklore. That's a big part of it for me. Is always the local folklore as well, and sort of the mythologies around mm-hmm. the the wilderness. Um, so, and it's it's not just about looking at photos. It's about you know trying to remember what things smell like, and and seasonality, and the, the dynamism of settings. Um, I could, I run a workshop on this so I was just about to launch into my workshop (laughs) spiel but I will not
0: (laughs) No but it's interesting because like I I can't remember who it was that we had on was it Dom Nolan maybe that was talking about because he had written obviously uh, Vine Street which was set in set over a period of time but historical uh, London Mm. coming towards the present day but I think he had looked at newspapers and things like that and tried to get Mm. The the rhythm of the writing and the way people spoke and things like that and that these sort of things that don't necessarily directly come into your book but inform the flavor of it really enhance the writing I think I think that sort of thing can really help
2: yeah I think so I think a lot of the time it's about being specific as well isn't it it's about not overdoing the lots of lots and lots of sort of descriptions or whatever but being specific in the details you give so it's not just you know a smell it's what that particular street smells like on that particular day or it's it's which color flowers are flowering in that particular season or whatever that really kind of makes it unique to that book and more immersive I think
1: and and does this kind of level of research does that apply to the planning of the narrative as well do you sit down and plan out the whole plot points before you begin writing that as your book
2: uh, i am a bit of a planner because they involve graphs and i love a graph <laughs> <laughs> being a scientist it kind of goes with the territory um i do plan most of my planning effort apart from building the world is um, the psychological arcs of my characters. So I put quite a lot of work into their psychology, their mm-hmm. childhood, their, you know, the sort of uh, fatal flaws that they carry um, and how that all builds up to the the particular psychological arc that they're going to go through in this story and how that ties in with the themes and stuff like that. So that's where most of my planning goes. And the external plot kind of comes from that, So the external plot is the one that changes most as I write. And I do kind of, I do stop at various points through the, through the book, um, particularly when I'm having a crisis and reassess sort of my graphs, redraw all my graphs and have another look. And it's mostly the external plot that changes and the internal plot stays the same um, because that's, that's always where my focus is in the, in the research
0: yeah. And and do you? Well, I'm, I'm going to ask a question and know the answer to because I should say that, <laughs> that um, Rain and I are both on the same uh, writing Discord group, so um, I know that sometimes you'll get to the stage of a novel and have what every writer has, which is sort of doubt, massive period of sort of doubting yourself mm-hmm. at various stages of a yep. novel. I mean, does that does that get any easier in across <laughs> time, or or is it happening as frequently as it did?
2: You're asking me that because I was on the Discord group this morning, weeping about the fact that I hate my current book and it's horrible and it hates me and I'm never going to get to the end and it's all a disaster. So yeah, thanks for that, Mark. (laughs) No, it doesn't. I don't think it does get any easier. But I think, uh, I think what does get easier is that you know that this is coming. Now I get to kind of 85% in my novel and I'm like, okay, next week's going to be horrible. Mm. Um, but I'm in that point now I've hit that wall and I hate it. And I know that if I can just keep going and bribe myself with chocolate, I'll get through it and next week it will flow again and, and yeah. the ending will happen and it will all be lovely and I won't imminently need to burn the whole thing. So <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, I think it's good once you've been through it enough times. It's like a, it's like a breakup with a boyfriend or something, you know, you know, you can survive it, you know, you know you'll get through and it'll get better um, if you just eat enough chocolate. (laughs) That's
1: the the thing of, yeah, it's, it's, it's knowing that it's okay to feel that this book is crap because that's a normal part of the process. And it's, and you know, there's a light at the end of it. And it's when, it's when you're, it's when you're kind of so deep in it that you think, you let it get too, too much and you just chuck it or whatever yeah. that's the yeah. tough thing and as, um, what's your writing style like you know do you have a set number of words per day you try to hit or do you try to find time to squeeze it in or do you have a nine to five writing routine
2: um I mostly I write when my daughter's at school um obviously like I said at the start because of health issues I don't have a job job um so I have the school day to write within and that kind of the amount of time within that day depends on my health that day um, and other life stuff. But I tend to, I tend to when I'm drafting, I try and give myself a target of about a thousand words a day. But that's pretty um, variable and that's sort of a minimum so that I can go over that and feel good about myself. Um, at the moment, I'm pushing to try to get to the end of the book of hell. So my <laughs> target's a bit higher. But um, yeah, usually about a thousand words a day and that just, the hours that take, some, di- some days I can do that in an hour and yeah. other days I, you know, by 3.30 when my daughter's at home, I'm desperately trying to get to kind of 700 or something. Yeah. Is it quite
1: important not to um, kind of beat yourself up too much, you know, if you if you don't hit your target or you whatever, you've had a bad writing day, not to feel too bad and just think, well... Some days are better than others and that's the some days you write more and some days you write less and not to get too yeah. caught up in trying to hit that, that goal you've set yourself.
2: Yeah, I think so. I think you've got to be kind to yourself, haven't you? Um, especially if you're dealing with other things like mm-hmm. small kids or health or, you know, whatever. Um, you've got to forgive yourself the days when it just doesn't happen. Um, but also, I, I mean, I do find the targets useful because they give me a focus. Mm-hmm. So I'm a little bit, I need a little bit of structure like that. And They don't yep. work for everybody. But yeah, they work for me.
0: And and when you've when you've finished that that draft, that first draft, is that a fairly clean first draft, or, are you know how many passes will you do before you're sending it off to the publisher or, or agent or whatever?
2: Um, my first, because I plan my first drafts are usually moderately clean, but mm-hmm. I then do a big a big edit, huge structural edit involving printouts and index cards and about six different color pens, which is very exciting. I love the color pens. (laughs) Um, So that's my big edit and that will involve quite a lot. Um, I'll then read it through usually on my um, ebook format, which kind of is a different, I think it's really useful to see things in different formats, isn't it? Mm. It gives you fresh eyes slightly. Uh, So then I'll do that. And then i usually after that kind of send it out to beta readers if i'm feeling fairly happy with it um, and i've got a lovely group of beta readers who are honest and kind which is kind of what you want
0: <laughs> and and on the on the planning uh, side of things I've, I've read that you said that um you're a fan of the save the cat writes a novel book mm-hmm. um what is it about that structure that that you find helpful
2: I See, I use that for the big structural edit. So I don't use that when I'm planning, but I use it to come back to when I'm editing. Um, And the thing I find good about that is because, like I said, my emphasis is always on the internal thing with the characters, whereas the Save the Cat story beats are quite external. Mm -hmm. Um, So I find them useful in kind of forcing me to really scrutinize my external plot. Um, and make sure that that's working in and of itself and mm-hmm. as well as still tying back to the, the psychological journeys and the themes and stuff so I really I like that it's flexible because there's obviously there's the different story formats in the book that it takes you through yeah. different genres and um, I like that it gives me kind of percentages and stuff I can draw another graph you see yeah exactly <laughs> it, likes, it likes the graph I, <laughs> yeah. I
0: often think because I've got that book as well and I have I have looked at it and it is helpful but I do sometimes think that when she's taking a story or something and saying this is this type of story or this is this type of story, you're like, yeah, if you if you apply it like that, then I suppose it is, but you could easily fit it into one of the other categories yeah. as well. Yeah, it, yeah, definitely. Know, sometimes it's, uh, yeah, I suppose you find what you want out of the stories and, and structure it that way, I suppose. Yeah, I'm not often using
2: it. two different, sort of two or three different um, versions within the Save the Cat. Mm -hmm. platforms just because you know if you write across genres or if you're writing across different themes then Mm -hmm. yeah you need to be a little bit more flexible but um it's it's a good tool i think but as with anything you just have to take the bits that work for you don't you yeah
1: yeah and your your new novel is out in august which is Mm -hmm. the way the light bends um why don't you tell us a little bit about what that book's about
2: yeah so that's um it's a dark folkloric mystery um, and it is set in present-day Scotland, so it's very, very different to This Is Our Undoing. Uh, it kind of explores the way, the way that we lose ourselves when we lose the person that anchors us, and it's looking at what are you willing to believe in when you are entirely lost. So it follows two estranged sisters who've lost their brother, and the year after his death, his twin sister goes missing, and the older sister has to try and find her, and it's full of Scottish folklore and kind of liminal places and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's, it's very different to this I'm Doing, but um, I love it. I think it's yeah.
0: And in terms of because it is a different, it is a different novel. Although it's, I would say the themes are some of the themes are, are, are similar, but would you know, in terms of the publishing of that and getting the publisher on board and things like that, obviously Luna Press, a small press, did you did you have one book deal and then have to pitch the second one to them? Is that how it works?
2: Uh yeah. So I had a one book deal for this is our undoing. And the way the light bends, I'd kind of shelved because I had a publishing deal for that before, which fell through at the last right. minute. Okay. Um and I kind of lost faith in it and mm. thought, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna focus on this is our undoing. Um but then Just after this star and doing was published, I said to my publisher at Luna, what about this book? Um, What do you think? And I sent it to her and she emailed me back a few days later to say, yep, let's go. So uh, that was that was great. That was very easy. And she's um, Francesca at Luna is is wonderfully supportive. Um, Mm. She's wonderful. She's fantastic.
1: And you you kind of write across genres um you know fantasy fantasy that's kind of grounded sci-fi etc and is is genre do do you like to dabble in different genres in a a way of exploring different concepts or is it a marketing thing or is it just the kind of stories you want to tell or it's easier to tell them in different genres Uh, it's
2: it's I don't I don't think about genre when I'm right when I'm writing I really don't I the only thing I think about when I'm writing is what Um, what level of sort of superstition or folklore or whatever is manifested externally because Mm -hmm. there's always this sort of internal folkloric thing in my characters, Mm -hmm. but how much of that is external is, is the only question I ask myself. And that's kind of just about what works for that particular story. Um, But genre labels is something I only really start to think of when I've finished the book, which is um, probably a bit of a nightmare for my agent. Um, but, but but it I don't I feel like my stories all come from the same root in terms of the themes that I explore mm. um, they just sort of go off in different directions yes yeah. um, and my third book's being marketed as just pure literary so it's it's I've managed to not overlap at all between my three books which is quite quite an achievement possibly yeah. a bad thing but, well, no, but
0: yeah that that is unusual isn't it because most people get get and I wonder if that's a, that's a bonus in a way of mm-hmm. starting with with the indie press, so you don't have that pressure from a big publisher saying, "Right, your next book has to be basically another version of of your first book."
2: Yeah, I think if you get if you sign like a three book contract or something, you mm-hmm. are quite tied to produce something along the same lines, aren't you? Yeah, um, which is not something I've faced yet. Um, so yeah, I I like the freedom to be able to write wherever the story takes me but um, yeah we shall see if I have to <laughs> if I have to narrow down my options slightly in the, in the future
0: <laughs> I mean it, it is interesting as well though just staying on, on the topic of genre because there there is this, there can be a snobbishness mm-hmm. in the literary world to genre it, it, the, as if it's not as good or it can't be literary if it yeah. has aspects of genre yeah. in it which is nonsense but I mean, I don't know, where, where do you stand on, on that sort of thing?
2: Yeah, I think it's nonsense. Um, and I think, I mean, the literary thing is, isn't is about the contents of the story at all. Mm-hmm. It's purely about the, your approach to prose. Yeah. Um, it's the opposite end of the commercial, you know, commercial to literary spectrum. So it doesn't tell you anything about the story itself, whereas things like SFF or thriller or romance or whatever are, are actually genre. That's the mm-hmm. actual genre of the story. Um, so yeah I I do struggle with the term literary when it's used in a kind of gatekeeper-y way Um, and I think there's quite a few biases in there towards sort of the mainstream white global north form of storytelling um, and form of narrator Um, but I think there is a huge huge market for literary forms of genre writing like look at authors like Natasha Pulley and um, all their names have gone straight out of my head now. <laughs> but uh, there's, a, there's a, I think there's a really big market for books that are being sold as literary crossover, but are yeah, actually yeah. just, you know, they're literary SFF. Um, mm-hmm. And I love that. I, you know, that's where I write. So I'm, I love the fact that that's a huge, a growing space.
1: Stuff like um, Station Eleven. And that's yeah. a kind of very literary, but sci-fi. I, I, may, I you know, maybe it, maybe it appeals to people who wouldn't see themselves as a sci-fi reader, but, and but, and you've got Mark Atwood, you know, a lot, although she says she doesn't write sci-fi, but you look at
0: the Handmaid's table and that's very <laughs> it's, it's a dystopian, dystopian thriller, yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. It, it is, it is really a marketing thing, isn't it? And, yeah, I think it and, must be. Um, you know, it, it, yeah, I, I find it quite annoying to be honest, because you know, it, also this idea that that literary versus commercial is mm-hmm. there's a snobbishness there as well yeah. you can enjoy both types of books equally. Yeah. Yeah. i know that's you have to only be you have to don't you? exactly, exactly. Yeah. 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 yeah
2: and i read i read both i mean there are days when you need something that is not going to ask too much of yeah. you and, exactly. yeah exactly and there are and days I mean, when you're happy to you know be challenged and that's oh yeah
1: totally and i mean we've all read books which are universally lauded as being a great literary book and you think this is just really boring like you know and it's maybe well written but there's nothing there it's, it, and and that's maybe fine for some people but it's, it's this kind of idea that if it's got any kind of plot to it or if it's on a different planet then it's somehow of lesser worth or should be Mm -hmm. viewed in a lower light than other books it's just it's nonsense yeah it is
2: it is and it's the same with the the sort of snobbery towards young adult fiction as well yeah um this sort of assumption that because it's written for teenagers it can't be you know as valuable but it's i think young adult doesn't shy away from the heavy themes you know it just deals with it in a slightly more dynamic, more immediate way. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I really struggle with anything that smacks of snobbery or gatekeeperiness. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I think, um, hopefully, most readers are quite eclectic in in what they read. Yeah, um, that's, <laughs> hopefully, most of my readers are. Otherwise, they're going to get <laughs> shocked. <laughs>
0: and and uh, so, the third novel is that out next year.
2: Yes yeah
0: uh, it is and is that with Luna or is that no that's else? with Fairlight Books right okay, so cool. a
2: different publisher um, uh, and I'm not allowed to say anything about it yet I think it's all still oh, secret
1: very uh, suspicious
2: yeah I know it's very strange this can't time.
1: see anything not even
2: I don't know I don't I'm sure no, I'm supposed enough, to know okay. what's secret and what isn't but I don't know I'm new at this whole thing <laughs> no no it's fine they, they didn't We're make me sign anything <laughs> contract
1: <laughs> cancelled because you've, you've
0: said to me that would but I mean as as a, as a writing experience is you know I suppose that's a different editor that you're dealing with there has that um you know has how's that experience been
2: great yeah she's I've got um one editor so far has been my point of contact and she's been lovely and we had we've had the big round of sort of uh developmental edits and they're really happy with what I've done and I feel like it's you know their feedback made the book stronger which is you know that's the important thing you want an editor who sees the same heart in your book as you do and they're just trying to make it shine brighter they're not trying to change it Um, and that's absolutely what I feel with them and I I feel like they they are really enthusiastic about my book um, and excited about it and that's kind of that's lovely that's that's
0: what you want isn't it yeah Yeah. and and so so what are you working on just now
2: (laughs) the book of doom (laughs) (laughs) um so this book is at the moment although the title might change is called all the birds will be hostile and it's sort of full of it's another present day one but it's about um broken mother daughter relationships and rootlessness and um how to come home when you don't belong and it's set in on the Hulme Peninsula in Wales and it's full of Welsh mythology and sort of gothic horror-y stuff. Cool. Um, yeah and I, when I say that I'm like yeah that sounds quite a good idea but <laughs> when I look at Scrivener I think no you're horrible. <laughs>
0: but you Just know what? this is the stage <laughs> you're yeah. at and you yeah. it. So,
1: yeah. <laughs> um and you also you've mentioned earlier on that you host writing workshops um you know what are these like what do you focus on and what sort of stuff do you teach in these classes
2: so at the moment the main thing i've been teaching is um developing settings as characters and that's what i do using largely using the natural world and folklore but also i've done ones exclusively for sff audience so looking at you know developing spaceships and stuff as as characters as well um so that's sort of what I've done so far, because that's something I care, I'm quite passionate about, and I really okay. enjoy talking about, but I, I'm supposed to be developing other workshops as well on writing diversity and uh, non-Western narrative arcs and a couple of things like that. So cool. we'll see if I actually um, get round to writing those, <laughs> I might be doing them in the future.
0: And and what is it that made you want to do that, given that you came to writing quite late on in, in a sense
2: um I think I just wanted to at first I was asked if I was interested in running a workshop and my instinctive reaction was oh my god no that will be terrifying <laughs> um and then I thought uh I have taught before you know it's not like this is an entirely new thing mm-hmm. to me mm-hmm. and maybe I should try it and see if it's fun and I, I love it I love being in a room with writers and sort of helping them Um, unlock ideas and it's amazing how creative people are when you're in a room with them for 90 minutes and the ideas they come up with and the discussions that happen and and it's just such a buzz especially when people say oh that really opened my eyes to something and it's really made Mm -hmm. me understand something that wasn't working or and that's that's fab that's such a, a cool feeling so I really enjoy it
0: and you've you've also set up your own mentoring scheme as well. Is
2: that right? Yeah. Yeah. That's uh rewriting the margins, which is a mentorship scheme I run for marginalized writers. And that I started running that about nine months ago, I think. I'd kind of been putting it off because I was again feeling a bit daunted about sort of imposter syndrome and whether mm-hmm. I was whether I had the authority yet to do something like that. But I realized that. I do. By the time you get to this point, you have learned quite a lot and Mm. you are, you know, you are further along on the process than a lot of people and you can, you are in a position to help. So yeah, that's something that I run monthly um, and has been, again, really wonderful. I mean, it's, it's, it's for marginalized writers. So I kind of wish it wasn't necessary, but sadly Mm. it is, that's the world we live in. And it is lovely to be a part of those people's journeys and to maybe give them a bit of a boost and help them a little bit along the way and I love seeing what people are working on you know you sort of you get a sneak peek into Mm -hmm. the creativity of other writers and that's always you know a real honour so I love
1: it. Is that something that's quite important to you that being able to give something back or to or to bring people up with you type thing?
2: Yeah definitely it really it's something that I struggle with a lot. I love publishing. The, I love the publishing community. I love the bookish community. But it's not It's not a perfect world. And it's a very uneven playing field. And I hate that. And that breaks my heart. And I want my daughter to be able to see the, the world as it should be in the books that she's reading. And, you know, I grew up not seeing people like myself in books. And I, I don't want that to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it does really matter to me. And I hate the thought of people um giving up because they are met with too many closed doors and because they see on twitter that the publishing industry is hostile to people like them and that just breaks my heart and i'm you know i'm lucky that i am supported and i'm robust enough in myself to have kept on going when i was met with that kind of stuff but not everybody has that support system so you know i want to try and be a bit of that
0: The, the less said about james patterson yeah yes
1: <laughs> he's, he's completely walked them back oh is he i didn't yeah, see that he is said it? he said although i said this i didn't mean this and i'm like well i've <laughs> obviously been told james shut it down quickly <laughs> yeah exactly.
0: so um just just in case listeners are interested in, in that that that's um they can get details of that on your on your website is that right on
2: my website yeah which is um shadows um, it's called Rewriting the Margins, which is a. I use that as a hashtag on Twitter, so you can just search for that hashtag on Twitter as well. It should come up.
0: Excellent. So, yeah. we'll, we'll put a link in the podcast description as well in case, yeah, in case people are interested.
2: Um,
0: what was the last book that you read?
2: Uh, okay, so I have just finished a... I wrote it down and I've left my note the other end of the room. <laughs> uh, I've just finished a historical romance by Mary Lancaster called Vienna something, something, something. I can't remember what. But I am just reading um, Kaikei by, and I've forgotten her name as well. Um, oh, God. Oh, God. Is Somebody it, Patel.
1: Vienna Dawn. No. Vienna oh, v- oh,
2: it, yeah, maybe Vienna Dawn, Vienna something. There's a few. Vienna. Yeah, it's,
1: I mean i on, no. online The Imperial season is the series of books.
2: Yeah, it's like after the after what's his face Napoleon was beaten the first time and then okay, negotiating cool. truces and that kind of stuff. It's just a it's a historical romance but I was I, that's like talking about commercial stuff. Yeah, yeah. I needed that yesterday <laughs> so that was what I read. Nice. But I started um um Kaiki by Vaishna, Vaishnavi Patel um last night which is amazing.
1: Cool. So, Um, and what about the last film that you watched
2: uh this is where the fact that i don't watch an awful lot of media but i watch what my daughter tells me to watch (laughs) shows because the last film i watched was the spider-man the latest spider-man oh
0: awesome were you a fan of it uh
2: yeah i thought it was great yeah it was really good Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah excellent and uh last tv show that you watched or are watching
2: Again, the teenager, it mm-hmm.
0: was Ms. Marvel.
1: <laughs> oh, okay. I've not watched it yet either. It's on my, on my list to get through, but it, it seems to be doing, getting a lot of good credit for having, again, a kind of, a, you know, different protagonist, a Muslim girl. Yeah, she's young a Muslim girl. teenager. It's quite an, an, yeah. a nice change of pace for like yeah, show, it?
2: and what was really sweet, I saw an interview with the actress whose name I don't know because I'm rubbish at stuff like that. No, but she was saying she's a you know a young Muslim American, and that she grew up reading those comics, and that it meant the world to her to see that character in the comics, and now she's getting to play her. Yeah, yeah. So that's just really good, and that just shows how important that stuff is.
1: Yeah, that's a good thing about sci-fi and comic books and stuff is that it's, it's easy to have to represent yeah. everyone you know you can yeah. It, yeah it's a it's a it's a no it's an easy option for, for having every type of representation under, under the sun and it's good to start to lean into that a bit more which is which is good yeah definitely yes um so say the last thing we the very very last thing we do is a uh, super quick fire either or and <laughs> i always say there's no right answer apart from one uh, but we'll start off with an easy one potentially um sci-fi or fantasy
2: Fantasy, despite my first book not being (laughs) fantasy. Uh,
0: TV or cinema? Um, TV. Uh, Night owl or
1: an early bird?
2: Uh, Neither. (laughs) 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 Between 11 o'clock and midday, that's me. (laughs) Um,
0: Music or no music when you're writing? Music. And Uh, music with... Like classical music or, or
2: no kind of folk, acoustic folk, indie folk, kind right? Of stuff. Okay,
1: cool. Nice. Uh, and the last one, real book or ebook?
2: <gasps> ebooks are real books. What are you yes, saying? Yes, <laughs>
1: yes. I, listen, you're preaching to the converted here. I am. Always, <laughs> I'm in that camp. I'm, if, you're, if, that, if, if you're telling me now your answer is ebook, then that is fantastic.
2: My answer is ebook. Yes, I, I do. I miss now, having pretty covers to stroke and put on my shelf, but no, ebooks all the way.
1: Yeah, no, no I so. I, I'm very, very happy to hear that.
0: Do you keep a tally
2: read? of how people are voting? Well, we, we should, before. but we I don't really because, need
0: to. Because yeah, I
1: mean, it's going to be a long time before I get a real, real
0: book or. Pay, uh, I print don't know, hardback, book. or oh, you yeah, maybe change yeah. that. We should maybe book change. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're right. Yeah, of course, it's they are.
2: Implicit real. bias. There, I know. Exactly. I know. That's <laughs> that's that's a problem. People, why, well, of course, uh-huh. they pick. A,
0: yeah. Why
1: would they not pick a book that's real? We should have thought yeah. about that before.
0: Right. You're a lawyer. Marco's so obviously you have about the <laughs> Yeah,
1: Marco's been been very craftily crafting that question. I think for his own game <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that was a really fun chat with Lorraine. Stroke great, yes. Wilson. I really enjoyed that. Um, and interesting. You know, it's we've chatted to so many authors who do write, uh, you know, across genres the way that Lorraine does, and it, it's interesting just to, to hear so many people have that kind of argument of is a sci-fi novel or a genre novel any less than a yeah crime or a literary? The, novel? The answer has to be no,
0: and yeah, you know, it's yeah. it's it's as we discussed there. I think there's definitely a bit of snobbery, as we've discussed there and also in previous episodes. But, you know, there's a place for everything. There's a place for literary fiction. There's a place for commercial fiction. And the same readers, yeah. although you obviously get some snobby readers yeah. as well, but, you know, it, a lot of people want to read literary sometimes. They some they, And sometimes that literary fiction is, is a genre literary fiction. A lot of people yeah, want to yeah. read commercial sometimes. It, you, you know, and I just think these... Barriers that are created are—they're frustrating. I think if you are a writer, because like Rain said, you don't always think about that when you're. In fact, very rarely do you think about that when you're actually writing. No,
1: totally. And you can you can you can be someone who loves type one type of fantasy novel, and you know you maybe don't like a Lord of the Rings type yeah. kind of classic fantasy. You maybe like more like a kind of modern steampunky fantasy or a grounded fantasy or you know and and to to write off a whole genre because you don't like one yeah. part of it's just such a strange thing when it's so varied and and you know there's 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 fantasy novels which are which read like crime novels or like action novels and yeah it's just well, such a so good bizarre a, view to have. a good story is a good
0: story and it can be in exactly. any exactly. you know it could be about you could hate lord of the rings but find a brilliant crime story about an an orc detective or something yeah. and if it was written I have well to say that, that does sound quite good to, quite like like that. i gave away one of my ideas there <laughs> <laughs> um yeah but thanks very much to rain for coming on to the podcast the way the light bends is now out we'll put a link in the podcast description so you can buy that we'll also put a link to her blog and the rewriting the margins mentorship program that she does as well um so yeah thanks very much to, for her coming on uh, and next week we've got another, we're staying in the world of genre I suppose, uh, with another sci-fi fantasy author
1: with a, a special episode next week because we chatted with the wonderful Adrian Tchaikovsky but it was a live episode that we recorded for Chimera Festival um, a few weeks ago now yeah. and uh, so it's, it's a really fun chat and it's a uh, live audience with audience questions and the whole atmosphere of the festival yeah
0: it, it, it's it's uh, the, it, it was our first recording in front of an audience so that was that was fun and nerve-wracking at the same time yeah um yeah. and yeah adrian was a brilliant guest uh, and oh, he, brilliant. he had um, so a nice. lot of stuff to say so yeah it's a it's a good episode a, a, as you say a unique episode um mm-hmm. hopefully not the last one in front of a live audience no, hopefully. but um yeah so please do tune in for that one and if you enjoyed today's episode, please do take the time to give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever your favorite podcast app is. Uh, hit the like button, the subscribe button, the follow button. Steal your friends' phones and do the same, please. <laughs> that that all helps, and that that gives a better chance for us continuing to do these episodes and to do another live episode as well in the future.
1: Is that why that man's tied up in the back? Yeah, you? exactly. Yeah, it's all about yeah, the podcast. Exactly. Uh, And of course, if anybody wants to get in touch and send us a question or comment, they can always do so by sending us an email, which is podcast at uh, rightgear.co.uk or a tweet in the Twitter machine, which is at UK page one. Uh,
0: But otherwise, have a great week and we'll see you next episode.
1: See you later.